Welcome to uh, Bishop and the Vickers. It's an opportunity uh, here in Eastern Washington beyond to me as the Bishop of the, of the Diocese of Spokane, Bishop Thomas Daly, the seventh bishop, as I'm reminded uh, by Father Connell, who joins us. Father Connell. Good day, everyone. Thank you for speaking while I'm speaking. Uh, Father Connell is the rector of the <laughs> Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords, the Mother Church of the Diocese, also Vicar General. Father Brian Mee, uh, pastor of St. Peter's, uh, vicar of finance, soon to Good be the pastor. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, pastor of St. Augustine's, and Father Pat Kirst, who will be at this time. Father Pat Kirst is the pastor of St. Mary's, but maybe St. Augustine's. Perchance. <laughs> Perchance. Actually, <laughs> pastor Shuffle of St. Thomas More. <laughs> One of the... Um, as bishop, uh, people will write to me with uh, questions, um, sometimes uh, insignificant uh, in, in the sense of, Bishop, we don't mean to disturb you, but um, what are your thoughts on uh, Gonzaga basketball this next season? What do you think about uh, what's going on with the, the weather? But other things are more substantial. Um, they love their priests, and so, Bishop, uh, why did you move uh, Father So-and-so? But others are, in a different way, serious. Um, I attended wait, Mass. Wait, those are serious, <laughs> too. Well, a little more now. serious. A little more serious. Oh. Uh, Father, I attended Mass, and um, Father did this. And I just, you know, what, what, is, he, what is he doing? Uh, uh, or why are people uh, treating uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ as if it's, as they said, mere bread and wine? I remember being at a meeting when I was uh, department chair of, uh, in the high school, and it was a meeting of campus ministers and department chairs, and we were talking about mass and how uh, in our schools when we have uh, the opportunity for our students to gather for the Eucharist, um, how can we have the students more respectful and enter into this uh, great prayer of our church, the, the holy sacrifice of the mass. And one of the... Um, campus ministers said, we need to look at the Mass as reverent theater. Uh, I was a little bit shaken. I said, you mean the Mass? No, reverent theater. And uh, I think it's, it shows that um, it's not just an isolated to the Northwest that um, at times people are confused uh, as to the Mass, as to the real presence. Uh, as vicars, as pastors, as priests who've been around for quite a long time. What are your, um, what are your experiences uh, about our people in the pew and our, and our kids in our school, uh, religious education programs, as to their understanding, their appreciation of the Eucharist, the Mass? I think that uh, for the most part in my experience in serving people as priests, that I have not heard a lot of people come to me explicitly that would say something which betrays the notion of real presence. Mm -hmm. They may not use that term, real presence, but in terms of those who are actually truly trying to live out their, their discipleship and participating regularly in Mass, they, they I think, are comfortable with, with the notion of real presence. Uh, however, I do see surveys and such that get reported in periodicals which, which do bring up concerns about Catholics and their mm -hmm. belief in the real presence. Now, perhaps some of that is the way survey questions are phrased and so forth. And But truly, it is a, a, a concept that's hard to get our brains around because it is such a deep mystery uh, and yet so fundamental to our to our Catholic Christian faith. I think so. Father Kirst brings up a very good point. We know that the church <coughs> teaches very clearly that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. And 
I think in the last 50 years, um, we all have heard of stories where, uh, you know, the, the, the pews were taken out and uh, the tabernacle hidden and uh, beanbag chairs. I remember at, at the high school there, the chapel had been renovated. Uh, crucifix was taken down. There was a wooden cross that was slightly tilted because the piano wire wasn't adjusted. All the pews or seats were taken out except for a few with kneelers, and there were beanbag chairs. And uh, that, that's kind of what I think Father Me once said that was very popular in much of his priesthood that ordained in the late 70s is, let's go <laughs> do liturgy. Oh, uh, <laughs> wait now. Well, tell us about that. Uh, Father Me, was that your experience, or is that something that was falsely put on my desk uh, by I one of the other vicars? It was one of those <laughs> letters. <laughs> I think it was one of those other vicar letters that you received. Um, no, no, as a matter of fact, um, that wasn't my experience at all. Although, if going back to Father Kirst's point, I think perhaps if you were to question a parishioner directly, uh, I just don't think they really know. I mean, I, in other words, I guess it's not that they don't believe that the body and blood that we receive, that Christ we receive at Mass is uh, just that, but they, I don't know if they think about it, or I think oftentimes they think it is simply symbolic. When we're talking about it, we're talking about it in a symbolic way. And of course that was um, something that was resolved back in the 12th century, but you know, us living a long time from the 12th century forget that that argument has already been gone through, and no, it's not well symbolic, it's a real presence. Right, and I, and I think we all agree that it was actually resolved um, much earlier, and not by a, a pope or a church council or anything, but by our Lord himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. On yes, the road to yes, Emmaus? Yes. Well, no, I, uh, yes, but also very explicitly in, in the sixth chapter of John, uh, St. John's Gospel, which uh, every Catholic, I think, should know by heart uh, and be able to. Do you know it by heart? I don't know by heart. The okay. Bread of Life Discourse. But, uh, like, like most things, I tell people what to do that I don't actually do okay. it in mm -hmm. my own okay. life. That was also <laughs> in the letter by one of the other vicars <laughs> to me. No, but it's a beautiful passage uh, of, of Jesus telling his disciples and the Jews, he's saying, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat this flesh, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. And he goes back and forth, and there's this, this dialogue and, and really argument between the Jews and, and his disciples and Jesus. And they, they say, well, how can you give us, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? As if to say, surely, Jesus, you are talking about this in a symbolic fashion. And Jesus comes back again and says, no, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. And then the disciples come back and there's this back and forth and back and forth. And then Jesus attaches it to eternal life. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever. And at the end of that, uh, that Bread of Life discourse, again, the sixth chapter of John, uh, St. John's Gospel, uh, comes one of the, the, the verses uh, in all of Scripture that I find to be uh, amongst the most sad and, and should help us, I guess, be patient with people today who struggle with belief in the Eucharist because these were people who were disciples of Jesus. They walked with him. They watched his, his miracles. They witnessed the miracles. They listened to his teaching. And in, in the, the very last verse of that chapter, it, it tells us that that some of the disciples struggled so much with that teaching on the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist by Jesus himself. Uh, the, the, the verse says, they returned to their former way of life and no longer followed him. Ver the very disciples of Jesus, some of them, couldn't believe in, in that teaching. And it's, uh, in, uh, it's easy to remember because it's John chapter 6, verse 66. So just remember 666. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was our last See, show. Bishop, could I go back to... Um, <laughs> yes. One I of the saddest lines uh, in all scripture. Okay, now it's your turn. Yes, uh, thank you, yes. Father. Well, <laughs> as I was saying, uh, that's all very true, what Father uh, Connell was saying. 
and interesting. Unfortunately, a lot that was interesting was not true, and that which was <laughs> true was not that interesting, <laughs> whatever. But uh, the whole question of symbolic came back up in the 12th century. I think Father Connell missed that class in his Eucharistic class. Berengarius. Berengarius, very good. Yeah. And? Lombard. Peter, Peter Lombard. Peter we Lombard. Lumbi. Lumbi, Bishop of Paris. Bishop and at the same time, Paris. Uh, Paris. Berengarius, who I, who probably Father Connell, no, he wouldn't see himself as a disciple of uh, Berengarius, believed that the presence or that the uh, that the Eucharist was symbolic of Christ. And of course, Peter Lombard, the Bishop of uh, Paris, uh, proved to him, to Berengarius as well, that no, that is not the case, that it is truly the true body and blood of Christ. And that's where we began to have all these different uh, elements in the Mass today that, of course, we're all familiar with. The elevation of the hosts, the ringing of the bells, all of that were brought in in the 12th century, not in John 6, <laughs> to remind us that this is not symbolic, but that this is truly the real presence, the body and blood of Christ, which will lead us, I suppose, to Corpus Christi, which is coming up soon, I think. What it does is that mean? June 18th, at least in the Church in the United States. Um, what about uh, connected this, in, you know, because Father uh, Me is a, a student of the, the history um, He's the senior member of the Vickers. Certainly not a teacher. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Nor a village idiot. But I remember you <laughs> spoke to me and you talked to, you quoted St. Irenaeus who said, our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist and the Eucharist in turn confirms our way of thinking. And with that, we'll take a break. Welcome back talking about the Eucharist and the lives of uh, the Catholic faithful, not just here in Eastern Washington, but in the Universal Church. And one feast that is uh, on the calendar for our faith is uh, Corpus Christi. Now, in the United States, it's on Sunday. Uh, how about uh, in your parishes? Uh, what celebrations do you have planned for? I believe it's June 18th. It is June 18th, and actually uh, Father Barnett will be at St. Peter's Parish that weekend. But what we've been doing for the last few years, uh, after the 1030 Mass, we have a Eucharistic procession outside, around through the gardens of St. Peter's. We return, we have benediction, and then conclude in the parish hall with uh, a, a small reception. Hmm. You have a big thing at the cathedral, don't you? Right, so that we kind of have a, we uh, have what we call our, our Corpus Christi Festival, um, have some kind of a, a parish meal on, on Saturday evening before the, uh, the, the vigil of Corpus Christi. Um, we have uh, a flower festival in the, in the cathedral building uh, where we just uh, decorate the, the church with uh, dozens and dozens of, of flower sprays and different kinds, um, reflecting our own love and belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And then, of course, you, Bishop, have Mass uh, at the 11 a.m. Mass uh, on Corpus Christi, and we have Eucharistic procession and benediction, much like uh, Father Me does, although ours is a little more elaborate and the choir is better. Uh, and then afterward, we have a, uh <coughs> a few hours, in a, we have a, an event for, for children and families. Uh, we have a petting zoo, and we have a bouncy castle for kids, and face painting, and food, and the idea being that... that uh, what is the idea? Well, let me finish with the <laughs> idea. <laughs> the idea. Does insurance cover that, Father Me? I don't, I don't think, think so. Yeah. This year it's Father's no. Day. The idea that uh, uh, 
communion, holy communion, bounces our belief. Would you stop? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, I don't even know why we do it now. <laughs> no, it's communion. It's communion with Christ and one another, and we build community, and we are church. And so we gather with as families and, and allow the communion we receive in the Eucharist to extend to uh, one another, and, and I don't know why we so do it. <laughs> so, so in our parish, in, in which we believe in the real presence every day of the year, yes. we don't do anything in particular that's uh, different on cheap. the Feast of Corpus Christi, which is actually called the Feast of the Most Holy Body, Blood of Christ. Uh, it's on one level, it's kind of curious. We have a feast dedicated to that because it is something we do 364 days a year, uh, Good Friday being the exception. Yep, and, we do that. and of course, oh, you do that as well at your parish. <laughs> <laughs> no, you Not terribly <laughs> profound. <laughs> take, that take that back. That's as the source and summit of our life, and, and the very centrality of our Catholic life. I've I've sometimes said in speaking with groups about the Eucharist that, uh, in a very minimalistic sense, if we didn't do anything else as Catholics but celebrate the Eucharist, we would still be Catholics. And of course, we do a lot more than that, and it all flows from the Eucharist and is directed to the Eucharist. But that becomes the very heart of our life, and and of course. Uh, without the real presence, we would not have that life of Christ within us to do I that. I think Father Chris brings a very good point. Uh, we have this treasure in our faith, the Eucharist, uh, the, the centrality of our faith. And yet, you know, um, I think of, um, you know, we talked in one of our episodes about um, vacations and holidays, if you mm -hmm. remember that. And uh, there's a challenge about people when they're away, um, resting, holy days, uh, as as opposed to, I think, Father Me wanted holiday used in ter uh, instead of vacation, that people go to Mass. But there are people we know, good families. I mean, the studies show that a number of Catholics seem to only be in the Eucharistic celebration, attending Mass uh, two, three times a month, not every week. And I think of, you know, uh, relatives um, of mine, um, you know, work the Butte, Montana aspect of, of the early family who would work – Maybe six days a week in the mines. I don't. I don't know for sure. But you know, long weeks. Sunday morning, up early. The whole family at mass. Bishop, can I go back to um, Father Kirst? You know, I was when I was, I was listening to him. It is certainly correct that we have this wonderful Eucharist and we have this blessing of being able to celebrate uh, the mass and receive the Eucharist daily. But all the same, I had this vision as he was speaking of Urban the Fourth and a tear coming down his beautiful. cheek. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yes. And now wasn't it beautiful? Wasn't Urban that the commercial the against trash in the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> Urban development, and he's the one that developed in 1264 the feast of Corpus Christi for the very reason of him saying we need to highlight just uh, everything. We, we celebrate our birthdays even though we live each day, you know. We, we have special occasions, and certainly we need a special occasion uh, at least this one time of year to celebrate uh, this real presence in an extraordinary way, and therefore the feast of Corpus Christi. So I, I just hope that there's only one tear coming from Urban the Fourth's eye. That's mm. all. And it is yeah. interesting that um, the we, we call it Corpus Christi by in terms of our popular uh, um, lexicon, if you will. Mm -hmm. But as, you, as Father Chris mentioned uh, in the liturgy today, we call it the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Our Lord, um, the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ, uh, which is which is fine. But it reminds me of of I guess the, the need that we have even today 
as, as uh, Urban saw in his day in, in the 13th century, uh, of proper catechesis regarding um, the Eucharist. And we all have our little, I guess, pet peeves about uh, that particular issue. But when you mentioned the body and blood of Christ, I'm reminded of, of uh, sometimes people will write in uh, to the, the, the bishop's office and complain about uh, Father X or Father Y that uh, at a funeral or a daily mass or something, they didn't offer um, uh, the chalice to the people uh, that they simply offered uh, the host. And the letter goes something like this. They complained that Father denied us uh, the whole Jesus because we didn't get to receive from the chalice, from the, from the precious blood. And uh, that, <coughs> in terms of our ears as priests, it just makes us cringe because, of course, that's, uh, that's uh, I guess, a well-meaning sentiment, but it, it does not reflect our, our theology that Christ is present under the form of bread under and under the form of wine, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And you do not have to receive the host uh, and from the chalice in order to receive, quote, the whole Christ. It's that's not our theology. And in fact, the church tells us that if, in fact, people um, believe that, um, that uh, the pastor of the church uh, is forbidden from offering um, Holy Communion under the form of wine and, and only to have it um, uh, only have it under the form of bread. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm in a parish and or people again will stop me and say, you know, uh, even some of the the terms that are used uh, i don't think people are uh, their intentions are uh, wrong but this you know they'll say okay you take uh, bob you take the bread and and uh, sue you take the cup and uh, uh, let afterwards we'll go do the dishes and um, i have wine left over in my cup so can you take it yes i think we as a church probably because of um, in fact there was a, a piece in the uh, wall street journal um, I saw that it was a rich, 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 rich piece. Yes, it was. A, it had to do with um, <laughs> the financial. A guy page. went back to a parish in New Jersey for the funeral. It was actually maybe a topic for one of our, our, our other shows, and he was talking about how the priest uh, in this parish, I believe, was a Polish priest, but it was a long-established parish in probably the Newark Archdiocese, where his family, his grandparents, had been, and um, you could tell he was saddened by the fact that so many of the relatives were no longer practicing their faith. And he said, I came to that conclusion. He writes, when the priest said, the Lord be with you, and I said, and with your spirit, and everyone else was saying, and also, also with, with you. you right. And it was, you know, how do we help our people? Um, the entire church to see the great gift we have of Jesus in the Eucharist, the importance of Mass each week, uh, Eucharistic adoration, the fact that when we're at Mass, it doesn't just end there, that we go out to be Christ to our world. Any thoughts uh, as vicars before you're replaced? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I see that we have a short <laughs> amount of time, and I have a lot to say here. I'm as usual. <laughs> anyway, quickly, there's a mad Frenchman by the name of Louis Chavez that wrote this book, and I don't remember the title of it now, but one of the key concepts was heterotopy. What he Whoa. meant by that was Easy. heterotopy <laughs> was another place. And mm. what he was saying is that when we celebrate the Mass, the Eucharist, the liturgy, uh, we, are to we are entering into another place. And what he meant by that, not the mundane world we live in, but rather uh, into the sacred, into the holy, which is other. And so that everything, even the terminology we use, instead of using table, we use altar. Instead of the priest coming in in a suit and tie or a collar, he's coming in investments, things that we don't find 
uh, in our mundane world, but that put us into this other place where we encounter and are in communion with he who is other, who is God. That is a great point, uh, and I want to follow up on that, but we're going to take a break now. Discussing the Eucharist in our Catholic faith, uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi, the experience of the Mass in our parishes, and how we, um, as the Church, uh, as as your bishop, as uh, priests, as pastors, as lay faithful, we can come together to uh, help all of us come to appreciate in a, in a deeper way this great gift of the Eucharist, Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Mass. Um, Thoughts again, Father Pat. Um, you were thinking about in your parish about, you know, again the mass and uh, right and and the fruits of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. What does what does the Lord do for us in the Eucharist? And of course, it's that wonderful source of grace that builds us up as disciples of Jesus Christ and transforms us into His image and likeness and unites us uh, to Himself. And the inspiration of people who have a wonderful devotion to the Eucharist and are so faithful in in reception of the Eucharist. And how they hunger for that, that union with Christ and, and with his body, the church. And, and we manifest that, I think, so powerfully in this ministry in our parishes of, of communion to the homebound and to the sick. That these people who are not able to, to come to the, the sacrifice of the Mass, to the celebration of the Eucharist, hunger for that so deeply. And so people take Eucharist from the Mass to those people. And that reminds them of their bond with Christ in the community, even if they can't be physically present for some reason. And it's just, and, and just uh, before Father Me uh, corrects you with a quote from Augustine, um, <laughs> I just want to say Father uh, Kirst uh, celebrates the uh, what we call the television mass, and that is what time uh, usually is that? I don't know. It's, it's all hours. When, it, when it shows, I when, think when it does it show? When I, think it show? It, I believe it shows on Sundays at noon and at 5 p.m. Okay. on channel, I think it's 13 or 14 on cable. I okay, know. well, that's just for those people who aren't able to be at Mass and our listening audience uh, who perhaps haven't had a chance. It is a reminder that uh, to contact your parishes for uh, someone to take uh, the, the communion to you on a regular basis and also if able to, uh, to watch the Mass on television. Just I celebrate the Mass on Christmas and Easter, so please make sure you do record those on your <laughs> DVRs. <laughs> and watch it on the 4th of July. Because it's <laughs> the most <laughs> wonderful time of the year. Yeah. It's Christmas. Father, so you were about to say something from St. Augustine? No, or no, no. From well, yourself. I, I'll get to that later. Now on. I will get to that later, but uh, no, I, as Father Kirst was talking about bringing communion to the homebound, how such a wonderful ministry that is. Um, I want to give a shout-out to one of our deacons at St. Peter's, Deacon Victor, he reports every week, you know, as we have our staff meetings, and he brings communion uh, to 30 shut-ins. And I think we can forget how many shut-ins there are in each parish. We have more. And <laughs> yes, but they're not receiving <laughs> communion on a weekly basis. Because Deacon Victor won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm going to tell Deacon Victor. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the first one we think of, we think of going to the tabernacle and praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament and that being certainly a wonderful devotion. But it really began to uh, keep the Eucharist in reserve for that very purpose of bringing communion to the shut-ins, to the homebound. Uh, so it is a ministry. I think what can happen, Eucharistic ministers may see their ministry as bringing or uh, giving communion at Mass, but I think we really need to push that spirituality of the Eucharistic minister of extending 
that's bringing Christ to the homebound. Do we, uh, in your parishes, do you have opportunities for the extraordinary ministers to, uh, periodically for retreat experiences? Because that is such a great uh, opportunity to share one's faith, to, to go to the, the, the homebound and to visit with them in, in an act of hospitality, but also to bring the Eucharist. Are there opportunities in your parishes? I think it might be something that we should, uh, should really look at. Um, how do we, uh, so many of those homebound are connected to the church through deacons and, and lay uh, men and women who bring bring communion, and also the priests occasionally. I remember much of my early years as a priest was regular communion calls. And consecrated women, Sister Sharon yes. at the cathedral. Mm -hmm. Big more women. Uh, communion than Deacon Victor does. So. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> let's not compete. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. Um, what about uh, in our parishes, um, are there more much more we can do to um, bring people to come to know Christ in the Eucharist. What about Eucharistic adoration? I know that's another show in itself. It's very important, especially in the lives of our young people. Are there, outside St. Thomas More, where Father Kirst will be going as pastor, Eucharistic adoration occurs how often in a day there? Is that? At St. Thomas More? Yes. Perpetual. I don't know. It? They haven't told me yet. I think it's perpetual adoration. I think just St. during Thomas Sunday More. Masses, I think they've reserved, reserved, reserved Eucharist. Yeah. Yes. At St. Peter's, we have it on Tuesday afternoons from noon till 6. I so a lot of parishes at the cathedral, I'm not sure what. We have uh, First Friday Adoration, uh, noon until 4. It's not that long, but we have to we so live in the inner city. But, but what we do encourage, though, is the practice of, uh, of making a visit. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we uh, have a guard at the, at the uh, cathedral to leave the, so we can leave our doors open because we're downtown. But I really encourage people to, uh, you know, as they're going to work or downtown, make a quick visit um, and recognize the Lord. Obviously, he's not exposed, but he is in the tabernacle, um, which reminds me of a, a beautiful quote from uh, St. John Vianney, who once said, I throw myself at the foot of the tabernacle like a dog at the foot of his master. Isn't that beautiful? So that's what we do at the cathedral. I got another tear, another tear like coming down. Yeah. I don't think I would put <laughs> that on an urban Whatever. It's beautiful. <laughs> on an ordination prayer card. Maybe uh, you've, we've heard from you, Father uh, I guess Connell. too much. Uh, maybe <laughs> just briefly, we were just less than a minute. Uh, Father Chris, any final comments to our listening audience about uh, help for them in the Eucharist, appreciation, things they might, uh, for the Mass, for simple prayer each day, thanking the Lord when the elevation, my Lord and my God, anything that uh, comes to mind? That's all That's great everything? stuff. Good job. It, yeah. All right. I answered for you. <laughs> Father, may I know you're going to quote something that... Oh, St. Augustine's. Yes. Okay. I know I only have seconds left, but St. Augustine said, you know, in the natural order of things, the food we receive becomes part of, of us, a part of our body. But in receiving the Eucharist, we become what we have received. So it's a reminder that we are to become Christ in receiving Christ in the Eucharist and bringing Christ through our lives into the world. And I'll conclude with St. Thomas More, who said, God, in Christ, in his life, he gives of himself twice, first on the cross and in the Eucharist. God bless and thank you for listening. And uh, may the summer months bring you rest and a closer relationship with Jesus.